So happy Veterans Day weekend, everybody. Uh, Jill and I were at Arlington National Cemetery a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> and it's quite incredible. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are uh, nearly 400,000 veterans and their family members buried there. And it's incredibly sobering because you're walking and there are, it's just a sea of headstones. And there are large crowds moving about the grounds, but it's silent out of respect. And if you look carefully at the top of most every headstone, there's a symbol carved. You know what it is? Cross, which is a great symbolic reminder that the cross is that bridge between death and eternal life. And that's made possible by the grace and the mercy of God. And that's actually our theme this morning in Genesis chapter 43. It's the mercy of God. So let me begin with just a simple definition for you. Maybe you've heard it before. Mercy is not getting what you rightly deserve. Mercy is not getting what you rightly deserve. So think of it this way. You're uh, in a court and you are appearing before a judge and you've broken the law. You're guilty. Everybody knows it, and you admit to it. So it's simple for the judge because the sentence is actually spelled out for you, and it fits the nature of your crime perfectly. So the judge hands down the sentence to you, but then he surprises you because he says, now, this is what is rightly coming to you, but I'm going to withhold it from you. You're free. You're free, and you leave. That's mercy, not getting what you rightly deserve. Now, when I share that example with you, it actually falls short of the biblical model of mercy because it's detached from human emotion. And so what we're going to see in the text is really fascinating because when it describes the mercy that God has for people created in his image, it uses raw emotion. There's this emotion that wells up within the heart of God toward those who have done wrong toward him, because when we do wrong, ultimately, it's a violation of some standard that's out there. That standard actually has been established by God. So when we offend, when we hurt, in a word, it's what the Bible describes as sin. Ultimately, it, it is an offense before God. So what we see in our text this morning is the heart of God toward humanity that is in desperate need of this kind of of, of action, mercy from God. So let's review a little bit of, of where we're at. In Genesis chapters 40, 41, and 42, we've been looking at the life of this man, Joseph. He started out 17 years old. His father plays favorites, never a good thing to do in your family. He's the second youngest. Dad gives him this really special coat, in part because he's the son of one of Joseph's, or actually, of, excuse me, of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And so he gives this kid a special coat, and I think this coat actually signifies a high standing in the family, kind of the, the rights and privileges, the outer garment of someone who's actually firstborn, even though he's second youngest. And so his other brothers are looking at him, and they're like, we're not having this, but he's naive enough to just kind of wear it around, and they get very angry. They threaten to kill him. That's what they want to do. They treat him viciously. The word used to describe the way he, they treat him, literally it's the word that was used to skin an animal, <laughs> right? 
This is family rejection at its worst. Instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit. They decide to sell him as a slave into Egypt. He's on his way to Egypt wearing chains, head shaved. He's now a slave. Bah! Strange turn of events for the young man. But then what happens is he encounters this, this king, Egyptian king. And the king has a dream, and he's told someone can interpret your dream. And so Joseph is brought to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells the dream, and Joseph interprets it. Three times he says, it's not me that gives you the meaning. It's actually the God I serve. And here's the meaning of the dream. It's going to be seven years of abundance in Egypt, followed by seven years of severe famine. And that's exactly what happens. The king is so impressed by the interpretation of this dream, he elevates Joseph to the number two position, essentially the prime minister in all the land. He's the one who oversees gathering of resources for the lean times. The famine is so severe that it extends to Canaan. That's where Joseph's brothers are. Their stomachs start growling. They're getting hungry. So dad looks at the boys and says, go to Egypt and buy some food. And that's what the boys do. They have no idea that they're going to encounter the brother that they betrayed and disowned. They don't recognize him. He's full on the appearance, speaking, looking like an Egyptian, married an Egyptian woman. But he's the guy they have to go through to get the food. A lot of high drama is set up for this. In the process, Joseph, he doesn't reveal who he is, but instead he puts them to the test. He asks them, who are you? They say, well, we are 11 brothers, and the youngest is at home. And at this point, Joseph is kind of, you know, he's thinking through, is that right? Is the youngest really at home? Because I know how you boys have mistreated the younger. Did you do to him what you did to me? He's thinking all these thoughts, yet not revealing his true identity. So he tells him, go bring your younger brother back to me. In the meantime, I'm going to take one of you, and I'm going to hold him hostage, right? He's going to to be collateral. You get the younger one, you bring him back to me, and prove to me what you're saying is true. So that's what happens. He loads them down with grain. Additionally, he secretly puts their money back in their bags as they travel home. They don't know about this, but then at their first stop, they open up their stuff, and they realize, (gasps) we forgot to pay. Didn't you pay? Didn't you pay? Didn't you pay? No, our money is with us. Oh, man, how are we going to go back? They're going to think that we were stealing from us. So Joseph is really setting the stage to determine where their hearts are at. So this is sort of act number two, because the brothers run out of food again. They're going to have to come back and see Joseph. But now it's a very different environment, right? Chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. It lasted seven years. And when they, that's Joseph's brothers, had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. So let me throw up a map here on the screen for you just so you can wrap your mind around what this journey would look like. So the boys start out there to the east uh, or or to the left, uh, right, excuse me, the right-hand side of where you're sitting. That's the area of Canaan. This is the area of Egypt. You can see that the famine was so severe it affects 150, 200 miles away. People are starving. So they make about a 150-mile journey from Canaan to the land of Egypt. There, they're going to encounter Joseph again, but they still don't know that it's their brother. So, verse 3, but Judah, that's brother number 4, said to him, the man Joseph solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Talking about Benjamin. Prove to me that he's alive. Bring him back. Verse 4, if you, if you will send our brother with us, 
we will go down and, and, and buy you food, they say to dad. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So they report to dad the accurate facts. Well, dad's not happy about this. Verse six, Israel, also known as Jacob, said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Like, guys, why did you tell them that? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. This is brother number four that speaks up. Send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and we won't die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. So dad realizes that the older brothers haven't, they don't have a great track record taking care of younger brother. Because last time they went out with the younger brother, uh, Joseph, he didn't come back. So he keeps Benjamin behind. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. But now he realizes in order to get food, they got to take him back to free Simeon and to prove that they're not liars. So this whole thing is a huge ball of drama. But brother number four, Judah, steps up, takes responsibility. He says, Dad, it's on me. It's on me. I will make sure we bring him back alive. The oldest, Reuben, he did some really nefarious stuff to try to usurp his dad's authority. Didn't have great character. The next two, Simeon and Levi, those two guys, well, they, were, they had anger issues. They were men of rage. They destroyed essentially an entire tribe. But Judah, in this moment, stands very tall. Dad, trust me. Let Benjamin go with us. We'll bring him back. So this is where the, uh, the high drama occurs. Dad wants to ensure that things go well. Verse 11, then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. In other words, he's saying, let's, uh, let's send the best of what we have as a, as a goodwill gesture. Ironically, these are the same things mentioned when Joseph was being sold into slavery. The traders, these are the things that they traded in. Verse 12, Take double the money with you, dad says. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. And then he makes this prayer. And this prayer is going to become so incredibly significant in the rest of the story. Verse 14 says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man that you're about to see. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. Remember, that other brother is Simeon, who he's held as collateral. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Now, these boys have no idea how much they are going to need this prayer for mercy. So dad loads them down with goods, and they're on their way. They don't know it now but soon they will. The one whom they're getting the food from will reveal himself as their brother. The same brother that they tortured, left for dead, and sold into slavery. Little brother has all the power 
What do those boys deserve? What is mercy? Dad prays, not knowing. He doesn't even know the full story yet, but he will. He prays, God, may they not get what they deserve. Maybe he knows his boys a little too well. Now, this is a change for this guy, Jacob, because remember back in the day when we studied his life in depth, his name literally means heel grabber. He had a twin, Esau. As Esau is being born a few minutes earlier, Jacob reaches out and grabs his heel and pulls him back. No, you won't be first, I will. Not you, Esau, me. Me first. And for decades, this is how the man lived his life. His name literally means deceiver. But what happens in life is, as you get older, you get kicked around a little bit, especially as a result of your own wayward actions. So one of the guys that mentored me, he used to say, you see this blood splatter right here? I'm not doing that again. Lesson learned. Going to make a better decision. Going to do things God's way. And life does have a way of just taking things away from you. Very often as a result of your own misguided words and attitudes. Jacob has met with God, wrestled with God, and realized that God is to be taken seriously. Don't play God for the fool. Jacob did that for a long time, lost, but you see this change in his heart because rather than trying to manipulate the situation, rather than literally living up to his name, he's like, how about this, God? Just give, him, just give the boys mercy. <laughs> I'm just going to throw myself on your mercy. By the way, um, this prayer will, be, will become pivotal in bringing about severe family dysfunction made whole. Remember that. There might be something here for you. This prayer will become essential in bringing about family dysfunction that is made whole. So, um, how, how, uh, how is this going to go down? Um, well, it's interesting um, because you see God all up uh, in, in, in this. Um, verse 15. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men, literally, they are terrified because they were brought into Joseph's house. Joseph is the prime minister. Thousands of people from all over the known world are traveling to Egypt to get food. How many of those people are asked to appear before the prime minister in his personal residence. They're immediately thinking, okay, we went back, we found that the money was in our bags. Okay, this could be really bad for us. There's nothing good that's gonna come of this. Why do we have to see him face to face? And why are we meeting at his house, guys? Right, what, what, this is not gonna be good. And they have to decide what kind of men they're gonna be in this moment. <clears throat> are they gonna tell the truth? And will they be believed? So you can see how this goes, you know. 
all these, I have brothers, you can imagine brothers just kind of talking to each other. Hey guys, what are we gonna do? What do you think? I don't know, what do you think? Well, I think we should do this. I think it's a horrible idea. Um, who asked? You did, well, okay. Um, what if we tell the truth? What if we tell the truth? Verse 23, excuse me, verse 19. So they went up to Israel, to the steward of Joseph's house, thinking that they're gonna be assaulted, arrested, put in prison, everything taken away. They go up to the steward of Joseph's house. This is the guy who's like the intermediary. He's the translator. He speaks Hebrew and Egyptian. They spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. Remember us, we're back. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of a sack. Can you believe it? Our money in full way. Isn't that crazy? So we have brought it to, uh, uh, again with us. We wanna make sure that you get your payment. We're honest men, and we have brought other money down with us to buy more food. We do not know who put the money in our, in our sacks, so they're honest. Now, what kind of response are they going to get? In a word, literally, I'll give you the Hebrew word for it. You're probably familiar. The response is this. <clears throat> Shalom. Oh, and with that single word, their anxiety leaves. Peace. Shalom lechem. Peace be with you. Verse 23, the steward replies, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Both statements are true. The steward received the money, but then Joseph, his God, told him, give the money back. Then he brought Simeon out to them, the brother that was held as collateral till they returned with Benjamin. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet, when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that, that they should eat bread there. Uh, so they've got, like the, they've got like the pistachio nuts, the almonds, they've got the honey, they've got the myrrh, they've got everything laid out on the, you know, what is that? Am I saying it right? Crudite? Right? They're like, look what we've provided for you. You know, we've got, we've got this really good little sampler for you. We hope you like it. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him to present what they had, and they bow down to him. How so? To the ground. So there were different ways of bowing back in the day. You could kind of do a bow like that, then you could do this kind of bow where you are literally down and it's just absolute humility and subjection when you bow down with your face in the dirt. And that's what they do and what they're saying is, you're the man, <laughs> respect to you. Uh, by the way, 13, 14 years later, Joseph, remember, had this dream where his brothers do what? They bow down to him. And once again, Joseph realizes, this is about the second or third time, Joseph's like, oh, so this is, how the, this is how the dream gets fulfilled. He had no idea that he would be put in this position when he had that dream so many years ago. But he's seeing God's plan fulfilled so many years later, remember that. And he inquired about their welfare and said, uh, is your father well? Does your father have shalom? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father has shalom. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves again. Really beautiful meaning. 
between Joseph and his brothers. Again, unsuspecting brothers at this point, but it's about to get better, verse 29. And he, Joseph, lifted up his eyes and he sees Benjamin, his mother's son. So I said earlier, Joseph and Benjamin shared the same mom and dad. The other 10 boys didn't. So there's a special feeling that he has for his little brother. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me, wanting to make sure that it's him? And Joseph says, God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place where he could cry alone away from them. So he entered his chamber and he wept. It's been a long time since he saw his little brother. He was just a little guy, just a young boy. All these years later now, he sees Benjamin and he's a grown man. And he's moved to tears. There'll be three times Joseph cries in his interaction with his brothers. All of the pain, the heartache, the memories, his abusers are in front of him. He holds the power to demolish them. But he wants to see what's inside of them. Have they changed? In fact, they haven't mistreated their younger brother. He's still alive. And all of these things come flooding back to him, and once again, he, he weeps. Now, there's a really interesting uh, use of the word mercy here in verse 30 in the Hebrew language. I want to point it out to you. It's preceded by another Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is used to kindle a fire. Here it's translated as warm. So if you start a fire, it's warm, and then it gets hotter and hotter. That's what it means. Kindle. That's what this word means. To start a fire, to generate heat, warmth, to make things hot. And then that word compassion is actually the exact same word that's translated as mercy in verse 14 when dad prays, God, will you give my boys mercy? What is happening in the heart of Joseph as a result of dad's prayer? What's happening is really cool. It's literally described as hot mercy. So the temperature within Joseph's heart and soul begins to rise. As he's reliving the past, understanding that his brothers are in a different place, Benjamin is alive, he goes out, he's moved to tears, and he comes back, and what fills him? He's filled with hot mercy. Don't underestimate the power of your prayers for mercy in the lives of the people that you love. I said earlier that the key to resolving this deep family dysfunction, I believe, is in dad's prayer. Do you believe that God answers really difficult prayers? Do you? Maybe you don't because you're not making them. What is mercy? It's not getting what you deserve, but it's more than that. It's this compassion. That's why the same word mercy in verse 14 is translated as compassion. What is compassion? At the heart of compassion is kindness. 
This is why the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Guys, it's not the other way around. Some of you have grown up in religious traditions where it's like, God is telling you to get your junk right. You better repent. Then God will smile. Then he will be kind to you. That's not how it goes. That's not biblical Christianity. See, God initiates because when he thinks about people that are far from him and all the wrongs that they've committed, what happens within the heart of God? It starts to get warm and compassionate. And what comes forth is kindness. Uh, The challenge for us is that we tend to lift up so many things that are inconsequential and we keep them and maintain them as barriers when what people actually need from us is kindness. We don't need to win our ideological wars before we show people kindness. A family unit that will come about as whole and restored is unrivaled in this story. But it doesn't happen without mercy. Friends, do not give up on your prayers of mercy for your family and your friends. Then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. So they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. I love all these parenthetical little notes you get. This is one of the reasons why we know the Bible is not fable, it's not myth. You get all these little comments that don't push the story forward in any way other than they actually happen. Here's what we know about ancient history. I've said it many times before. Uh, Extremely prejudiced. So Egyptians and and Hebrews, they did not like each other. They didn't play together. They saw each other as dirty, certainly not going to eat together. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. So from Reuben all the way down to Benjamin, they're all lined up. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. They're looking at each other like, can you guys believe this? We're eating with the prime minister of Egypt. But then this happens. Benjamin's portion, five times what theirs is. What do you think Joseph's doing? What's he doing? Oh, this is good, isn't it? Maybe one last test for you, brothers. So you're going to be looking across the table going, how's your lamb chop? It's great. How's yours? Hey, Benjamin, how's your five? (laughs) Plates like this. Test for the older brothers. Oh, they've been in this situation before with Joseph and his cup. Will they still have the same hearts? Are they going to look at Benjamin and go, we'll deal with you later, little boy? Just like we did with Joseph. Apparently not, because they drank and they were merry with him. You know this word merry? (laughs) Kind of a fun word. It was a Hebrew word that was used to describe somebody that drinks so much they get happy. (laughs) These dudes are buzzed. They're like, look at Joseph, he's got five. Good for you, little guy. Can you believe we're here? This is insane. 
this is insane, man. You see what's happening? They're not the same. What was dad's prayer? Just mercy, God. Just cover this family with mercy. Um, I love how this chapter points to who? Don't do this to me now. (laughs) Who does this chapter point to, everybody? Jesus. Jesus. Been saying it pretty much every week. Genesis points to Jesus. Maybe no other chapter like chapter 43 because Jesus is the ultimate example of mercy. I'll prove it to you. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's he's, he's on the cross. To his torturers, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Well, what do they deserve? What, 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 what does a person deserve for torturing the most innocent man who's ever lived? Probably a little more than a slap on the wrist. This isn't like spitting on the sidewalk. You're, you're torturing the one who came to save you. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So let's revisit the courtroom. The judge gives you the sentence. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard time. You're going to be locked up. You're never going to see the light of day outside these prison walls. Actually, actually, what it, what it comes down to is it's actually a death sentence for you. You're like, hold up, really? Yeah, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's, that tells you how serious God takes our, our, our wrongdoings, you know? And, and, and it, it is a serious thing, guys, because why is the world so jacked up? Well, In part, it's because each one of us has our own little contribution, depending on what kind of influence or power we have. Because whenever we act selfishly apart from God, we're just, we're throwing gas on the world's dysfunctional fires, you know, in our own little way, in our own little sphere. It just depends on what, how big your sphere of influence is. But we're all, we're all guilty of it. And so that's why the world is so jacked up. G.K. Chesterton, brilliant mind. He was answering a question in the newspaper of his days, the little opinion section, asking, what is wrong with the world? G.K. answers... Simply, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Tremendous amount of self-awareness there that's getting lost on people today. What is wrong with the world? I am. So you're in the courtroom and the sentence is handed down and there's no hope for you, but in that moment another enters the room and says, Judge, in order for justice to be served, punishment must be dealt out. Otherwise, the justice system would be a mockery. So here's what we'll do. I will take the punishment on this person's behalf. Justice will be satisfied. The payment will be met. Withhold it from this person and put it on me. So I said earlier in Arlington National Cemetery that cross is a bridge between death and life. So let me end by by asking you, Who needs this kind of mercy from you? In Romans, the Apostle Paul says, look, brothers and sisters, if you really understand the mercy of God toward you, then you will extend that mercy to others. Who needs it from you? Let me take it. Let me me press in a little bit. Probably somebody that has mistreated you. Not probably, definitely. Inherent in the idea of mercy is that someone has offended someone else. 
Dad prays, can mercy just cover this family? Can there be kindness? Can there be this hot mercy, this warm compassion that flows? You are that family member, Christian. By the way, holidays are coming. (laughs) I'm smarter than I look. (laughs) Holidays are coming. You want to change a person's heart? Do the Jesus thing. He never hammered people with the words. Ah, he had some pretty harsh words for religious people. But to those who were far from God, it was more of a melt them with kindness. And that's really hard sometimes when you've been offended and wronged. How do you do it? It can't be done. Jesus is our example in all things, and he's the leader. So our leader leads us and shows us mercy so that we can show it to others. We should probably pray. Father, good words of your book, they resonate with us. Why? Because truth resonates with us, especially in the midst of a world that is constantly being fed falsehood. The Bible just cuts right through it all, speaks to the true human condition, and gives the answer. So Lord, even in the weeks to come, will you continue to impress upon hearts the mercy that we have received so that we can extend it to others? Not easy, but made possible, all because of Jesus. Pray for those wounds that cut really, really deep. Many can relate to the life of Joseph. And yet, because of his relationship with you, he was able to rise above it. And ultimately, there will be tremendous reconciliation, but only because mercy is in the equation. Father, guide us and lead us. Speak to us. Remind us that we need your mercy every single day, and we're grateful for it. We ask it in the name of the one who makes it all possible. His name is Jesus Christ, and God's people said, Amen. Amen.